This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Very good morning to you all. How are you doing this morning? Are you sure? You don't sound very convincing. How are you doing this morning? <laughs> Fantastic. That sounds more like shofar. Amen. Shofar is to announce the coming of the Lord. Is that right? So it's a great honor to be here this morning. We're really very honored. Um, I know Pastor Andre is not physically here, but we are very grateful. Stephen, you have made us feel very, very welcome, and we feel very much at home here. Amen. Well, I am married. I'm married to one wife, <laughs> and I'm very grateful for that. My wife, Mampo, is here. Um, or Please come, Mampo. Yeah. Amen. Thank you for welcoming her. I'm originally from northern Nigeria. Mampo is originally from the western province, from Cape Town. And uh, we've been blessed to be married in 2008, and we're blessed with two children. So thank you so much for having us in show. Yeah. This morning, we're not bringing any new gospel to you, okay? <laughs> There's nothing out of the ordinary that we're sharing outside of God's Word. And God's Word is extraordinary, but should be ordinary to us as God's children. Is that right? Because we are members of His family. He's our Father. I want to start off by saying the opening remarks that the Lord Jesus said. After His season, 40 days of prayer and fasting in the wilderness, we are told in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, that he returned to the rest of society in the power of the Spirit. And he went into the temple, and he found the place in the book of Isaiah where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn in Zion, to appoint unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for sadness, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be the trees of righteousness, even the planting of the Lord. Just a little bit about my story uh, before we go into God's word. I was born at a time when my native country, Nigeria, was experiencing a civil war. My parents, lovely people, um, but my father wasn't really faithful in his marriage. So as a result of that, my parents separated. My father loved education. He traveled to the UK to do a postgraduate diploma in medicine, in tropical health, out of, you know, in Liverpool in the UK, and found another lovely Nigerian lady there. They fell in love. They came back home to Nigeria, and they got married. My dad, um, in his role in the military, he was working for the medical corps of the Nigerian army, would be sent you know, to different parts of the country, for work assignments and all that. So most of the times in my childhood, I stayed at home with my stepmother. She was a very lovely person, but very short-tempered. 
I was a very stubborn child. <laughs> and in my country at that time, discipline was by beating. So you can imagine <laughs> the level of beating that I received when I was a child. I remember one time my dad was out of the country. He had been in Nigeria for a bit. So he had gone back to the UK to do a master's in community health. And so I was at home with my stepmother. Henry, she sent me upstairs. Go upstairs and get me some shoes. She was downstairs in the kitchen baking the Christmas cake. So I went upstairs. I didn't really get the instruction properly. So I opened the wardrobe. So many shoes there. I wasn't sure which one. So I took the wrong pair and I took it downstairs to her in the kitchen. She was very angry. Marched me back upstairs. Flung the uh, wardrobe door open. Isn't that the shoe I asked you to pick? So she took that one and it's this female shoes with the heels. I think they call them stilettos or whatever. On my head and it's bleeding put me in the car, drive me to the hospital, you know, and it was stitched. So over and over, similar incidences like that brought me to a point in my relationship with my stepmother where I was so afraid of her that I developed a speech impediment. In fact, I was happier outside when I go to school than at home. We were a little bit comfortable, but there was no happiness there. One good day, Finished primary school, I was in secondary school, I met Jesus Christ. And I became a child of God. And then I heard about faith in God. That God is not just a savior, and salvation is fantastic, is that right? Any saved people in the house today? Salvation is fantastic, we all know what we were before we met Jesus. But I heard that beyond salvation, there is healing in the covenant. And I reached out to God in faith and began to trust God. God, do something in my life. Today, I speak normally. Back then, with my stammering situation, I'm trying to simply say, my name is Henry. And that takes me forever. To complete that simple sentence, my name is Henry. Not only was it difficult, you know, um, medically, I guess, but also emotionally and psychologically, it was eating me away inside. And the shame was overwhelming. But as I began to reach out to the Lord in faith, I can't tell you at what moment the stammering left. God manifested his power. And today, by the grace of God, I can relate normally. I can talk normally like anybody else. I think the enemy knew that not only did the Lord want to save my life, but God was calling me to a speaking profession. And he attacked that speech, but God delivered. Fast forward many years later, I was called into missions, and I joined this mission agency like uh, Elder Stephen mentioned, Mercy Ships. And Mercy Ships at that time, the model was that we will spend about seven months on the African continent, and then four months in Europe. Germany, England, you know, whatever country, to get the ship serviced, uh, to recruit missionaries, and also for public relations. So uh, then in the year 2005, they decided they were not going to go to Europe. They would come here to the beautiful country of South Africa. <laughs> so we sailed into port here in the port of East London for shipyard and dry dock. And I just fell in love with downtown Christian Center. I began to attend for the three months that uh, the ship was here in East London. And I went there, I mean, powerful preaching, 
but also the worship was just out of this world. I mean, I've traveled to several African countries, but the worship in South Africa, oh my word, it was, it was something else. And I said, if I stay long in this country, I'm going to get married to one of those beautiful girls <laughs> leading worship. Anyway, I was here for three months, went to the U.S., U.S. back home to Nigeria, Nigeria back to the ship. And since I couldn't stay long in South Africa, God sent South Africa to meet me on board um, the Mercy Ship. So my wife, um, who, when the ship was here, 2005, a couple crew members were interviewed on TV, Nolin, Three Talk. I don't think that TV program is still on now. But she heard about Mercy Ships through that. At that point, she was working for Standard Bank, and then the Lord spoke to her. She applied. Long story short, she joined the ship in 2007. We fell in love. We got married. The rest is history. Is that right? So, <laughs> so we really uh, are very, very grateful to the Lord. When Pastor Andre invited us to come share this morning, the Lord laid it on our hearts that we should talk about the essentials. I can't say the essentials. I'll talk about I'll say maybe a few essentials for kingdom living. Amen. As people of God, members of the family of God, under this great king of kings, what are the essentials in the kingdom? We're taking our text from just one verse in the Bible. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. I think uh, it will soon come on the screen. And if it's there, we can read together. One, two, three, go. Therefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Many of you may be familiar with it. I like to read the scriptures from different translations of the Bible so that we get the full idea what the Lord is trying to communicate. My friends, you know God's word is powerful. Is that right? God's word can feed our spirits, feed our souls, feed our minds, transform our lives. So if there's anything we can do to gain entrance of God's word into our lives, we need to do it. One of the keys is looking at God's word from different translations because we get different angles, different facets of the word. So in the Amplified Translation, we see something here. That these men, one important characteristic of these people that God was going to use was that they were people of moral integrity. They were sound in their character. All right? If you read other translations of the Bible, the Christian English Bible, it says that they were respectable. They were so sound in their character. Over time, situation after situation after situation, that they became proven. They had been tested. They could be trusted. Therefore, they commanded respect. They were respectable. If you're wondering what that means, think about Joseph. He's in a foreign land. No father, no mother, no brother, no sister. Nobody knows him there. A temptation presents itself. This woman, and I guess she might be a beautiful, attractive woman, sleep with me. But hear what Joseph says. How can I commit this great sin? Not against my master or my master's wife. Against? Against who? Against God. In 
Integrity. 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 Next uh, slide, please. All right. So, um, yeah. So, let's consider a little bit of the background to this verse that we're talking about this morning. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. It says, carefully choose, prayerfully choose, look out among yourselves seven men, respectable. The old King James says, of honest report, good reputation, moral integrity. Number one. Number two, full of the Holy Spirit. Number three, people of wisdom. Some translations say exceptional wisdom. And we will bring these people and appoint them over this very important challenge in the church. What's the background? If you remember Acts chapter 1, Jesus has risen from the dead and he's addressing the early church before he ascends into heaven. Is that normal, friends? That people end their time on earth by entering a jumbo jet. (laughs) Maybe they're in first class and they go straight into heaven. Is that normal? (laughs) No, very abnormal. Is that right? Very abnormal. It first began with a man named Enoch. We're simply told in Genesis chapter 6, I believe, it says Enoch walked with God. If you're married, you know what that means. You're walking with your husband or your spouse. Journeying with them. If it's shining, the world is beautiful, you're together. If it's tough, you're together. Enoch walked with God. When he completed his term on earth, the Bible says he was not. He disappeared. Why? Because God just took him. He was caught up. Number two individual was Elijah. Elijah also, we can say, in summary of his life, Elijah walked with God. You know the story. One day it's time for him to go. He had served the purposes of God for his generation. Elisha, his personal assistant, his protege is watching. And the chariots come down from heaven, the chariots of God, chariots of fire. And boom, there's a separation. Elisha remains. Elijah, whoop, is taken up to heaven. And so we come to the time of Jesus, the same thing happens. He's there with his apostles. And before you know it, the heavens open and he's taken up. So the power of God is in manifestation among this group of people. They've experienced God. It's not a theory. It's not an idea. It's not a good proposal. No, it's, it's real. They've experienced God. It's real. That's Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 2, a prediction that was made hundreds of years back. A man touched by the Spirit of God stood and prophesied that in the last days, God will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. Male and female, black and white, rich and poor, educated and illiterate, God will pour out the Spirit upon all. In the days of Peter and the the apostles, they were gathered together in the upper room. And there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole room where they were. And on their heads, on the heads of each individual there, cloven tongues of fire. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Many people were wondering, what on earth is this? Peter, who was afraid in the past, was so filled with the Spirit. He stood up before these thousands of people and told them, this is that 
which was prophesied by Joel, that in the last days, God will pour out his spirit. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are about to enter into the temple. At the gate, which is called beautiful, they see this man. He is lame from birth. Never took a step in his life. All of us in this room, I imagine that every morning we wake up, we don't think twice, one foot you know, in front of the other. And sometimes we take it for granted. This man, not even once. And he had to be carried every day and brought to that temple so he can beg. Beg for alms. Please help. Please help. Please help. And as he saw Peter and John come into the temple, he, he, he reached out to them. And Peter said, look on us. And of course, the expectation level <laughs> began to rise. He was expecting something. Something meaning imali. You know what imali means? <laughs> imali. But Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But such as I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And we are told that Peter helped him up and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And the man who had never taken a step in his life, who was 100% dependent upon people. Can you imagine the shame you need to use the bathroom and people have to take you to the bathroom? That man, not another one, that one, received strength. He leapt and he walked and he praised God. This is the background. But it wasn't just the power of God. Friends, there was something about the purity of God that was there. You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Acts chapter 5. These guys thought <laughs> they could play games with God. We wouldn't go into the details because we're trying to respect the time as well. But they brought this offering. And we are told they laid it at the apostles' feet. <laughs> but Peter looked up. And he asked him, is this really the amount for which you sold your property for? And he said, yes. And Peter said, why has Satan filled your heart so much to lie to God? You have not lied to men. God is in the house. Amen. Amen. This is not, we're not playing games. When we say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a child of God. So Peter was saying, uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. You don't know what you're doing. You're not lying to men. And a miracle of judgment took place right there. You know the story. Same thing happened with his wife. In Acts chapter 6, where we are focused on this morning, there was a situation. The power of God was present. Signs, wonders, and miracles were taking place. But there was the issue of discrimination, even among the Jews. There were some Jews at home, and there were some Jews in the diaspora, outside. And they were discriminating. If you are at home, and there was a time of um, distribution of food, they will serve those who were at home, well, <laughs> if you are from outside, different story. So that was the challenge. All right, that was the challenge. Do you see why 
the leaders in the church at that time said, when you select people that are going to be used by God to manage the affairs of God in the church of God. Sorry. (laughs) First of all, they must be honest. Because we just came from Ananias and Sapphira. Now we're dealing with this issue of discrimination. Honesty. Honesty. Men of good character. Now very often, I don't know your situation, my situation has been that we look at the issue of um, moral failure in top leadership. Like I mentioned earlier, I come from Nigeria. Nigeria was such a blessed country that in the 70s, our local currency, the Nigerian Naira, was stronger than the U.S. dollar. Can you imagine any African country having a currency that is stronger than the U.S. dollar? That was our situation there. But corruption took over. And we began to fall and fall and fall and fall, not only uh, in terms of our reputation internationally, but also in terms of our economy. Quality of life, you, you can name it. All right? And then I realized the Lord began to convict me and say, no, 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 it's not just high-level corruption. There's corruption at the grassroots as well. There's corruption And I looked at Ezekiel 22, where God talks about the grace for intercession. God said, I looked for a man, one individual among them, who will stand in the gap, who will make up the hedge so that I don't destroy the, the, the land. But I couldn't find one. And he gives categories of people in society. He talks about the princes representing political leadership. He talks about the prophets. He talks about the priests. And he talks about Abantu, the people. You and I. And I realized, you know what? I cannot. (laughs) I can't even begin to say, oh, this leader, that leader, they're corrupt. And so have I dealt with the corruption in my life? Corruption simply means unrighteousness, wrongdoing. Wrongdoing. And the Lord began to challenge us in our family that between my wife and I, we need to look at each other and see, honey, how are you doing in your life? In, when we deal with our children and they go to school in the morning and come back with an issue that has to do with morality, that we deal with it at the family level and attack that issue of corruption, immorality, right there at the family level because we're not better than anybody else. It's just the grace of God. Amen. Then the Lord took me to my country, Nigeria, and I began to see how pride and corruption brought Nigeria down based on uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation. And a nation is built upon an individual, a marriage, a family, a neighborhood, a community, that coming together, forming the nation. Righteousness is what exalts, but what? Sin is a reproach to any people. And we have to look at our lives and see, is there an issue? Like there was an issue in the early church with the anointing of God upon the church. Remarkable miracles, undeniable miracles happening in the early church. Yet there was an issue of lying and an issue of discrimination. Character. Friends, 
God begins with character, that we need to be people of character if we want to position ourselves for more of God. For more of God. Number two, the Bible talks in this place, Acts chapter 6, about the fullness of the Spirit. The fullness of the Spirit. And I feel as if I'm preaching to the choir here still. <laughs> because I know Shofar, the little we have seen, you know, this morning my wife and I, it's so full of the Spirit. But we appreciate the fact that there's live streaming and there's some people who may not be members of Shofar per se, but who may engage with this message, perhaps, you know, as members of the body of Christ or maybe even the unsaved. But even for us who are believers, what does the word say? In Ephesians 5 verse 18, Paul cautions us, don't ever come to the place in your walk with God where you feel I have arrived. We must be hungry and thirsty for more of God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, encompassing all, including the, the fullness of the Spirit. Now look at this church. The miracle of the healing of the man who was lame was a city-wide miracle. There were friends of God in the city. That's the church. There were enemies of God in the city. But do you know what the enemies said? They said that a remarkable miracle. Not an insignificant, <laughs> careless miracle. No, a remarkable miracle has been done by these men. It's evident to all who live in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. Remarkable, evident, undeniable miracles. And yet, they said, when you select men, select men who are full of the Holy Spirit. That there was such a priority that the Holy Spirit held in the life of the church that if we're not careful, we can lose. The fullness of the Spirit. So, the psalmist said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul does what? Pant, longs for you. We continue to say, God, fill me with your Spirit. Baptize me. With your Holy Spirit and fire. Yes, I've tasted a bit. I want more. I want more of God. I want to see God not just manifested in my little life. Or my little marriage. My little family. I want to see God evidently manifested in East London. That people who may even be enemies of God. Who may be skeptical. Will say, you know what? We may not like these people. But we cannot deny that their God is real. That their God does the supernatural. We can't deny. Amen? We are not yet there in East London, guys. I'm new in East London, but I can tell you, we're not yet there. We need God. Can you agree with that? We need God. We need God. So that when people come from Cape Town, Joburg, Mpumalanga, Limpopo, wherever, when they touch East London, the atmosphere will tell them there's something here. There's God is alive in this land. That's what the enemies of God said. We cannot deny the fullness of the Spirit. I say that with great fear and trepidation because I know many of you, you've experienced God. The advice this morning, reach out for more of Him. Amen. 
richer, there is more in God that you and I have never ever tasted of. His God is not my men are limited. But this one that we're dealing with, he is unlimited. Amen. Limitless. We can't quantify him. We can't put him in a box. We cannot. We cannot. The fullness of the spirit. Alright. The third one, if we can go to the next slide, please. Alright. Is um, um, so he says that select men who are wise, who are people of character, people who are full of the spirit, and then people who are wise. People who are wise. As a situation that the Bible tells us in the time of Solomon, where two women came, both were mothers, one slept on her child in the course of the night, and the child died. And she very mischievously took the child of her colleague and said, no, 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 this is my child. The dead child is yours. And the case was brought to Solomon. How do you solve a situation like that? Human wisdom is going to fail. It has failed before. It's going to fail again. We who are privileged To say that we have the spirit of God in our lives. We have the option of reaching out to God for divine wisdom. Friends, divine wisdom. Solomon tapped into that. And he did a very strange, very weird approach that Solomon took to resolving this crisis. Bring me a sword. Can you imagine (laughs) the number one ruler in the land? Instead of protecting the people, he is destroying the people. It was the wisdom of God in manifestation. Split the child in two. And I can, I can just imagine in my mind the shock on the face of the people. And of course, it, it was a catalyst for a response. And there were two different responses. The fake mother said, oh, no, no problem, go ahead. Do what you want to do. You are the king. But the real mother, a mother's love, will not allow it. No, 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 please. Give her the child. It's fine. We need divine wisdom. And we are told in this verse of the Bible that the people who position themselves for the use of God must be people of exceptional wisdom. Another case in point is Joseph. He's a foreigner. It's not even his home country. And he's in prison. The most despicable place. But the number one ruler in the land. Of the number one nation in the world at that time. The superpower of the world. Egypt at that time. Summons Joseph. And he comes. And the king begins his address. I have heard about you. (laughs) You are this great man. You can interpret dreams. Joseph listens respectfully and he tells the king, God, not man, God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Not man, but God. 
You know the story. Pharaoh relates the dream that he had and Joseph gives the interpretation there's a dilemma, there's a crisis. A food security crisis. Seven years you're going to have an abundance of food. After that, there will be such a difference you will not even remember how excellent, how amazing it was because hunger is going to take over the land. Food security. And then Joseph taps further into the wisdom of God and he brings a proposal where they didn't have computers and, you know, <laughs> and stuff those days. So he didn't need to type and then put it in a well-formatted <laughs> you know, approach and, you know, bind it and then present it before the king. Right there and then, the wisdom of God comes. There's a download. And he says, here's my proposal. Such and such and such and such and such. And the king says, well, if God has given you this wisdom, there is no man in all the realm that is as wise as you. Do you know the, the, the power of that statement? This is the America of that time. With Silicon Valley, with Boston, all the brilliant minds in the world, Harvard University and all of that, all those, the equivalent of Harvard, were there at that time. But the number one citizen on earth at that time, Pharaoh says, there is no one as wise as you. Because it's not human wisdom. It's the wisdom, it's the wisdom that is out from out of this world. We see the same in Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, further down in the Old Testament. The king of Babylon surveys, again, the superpower of the world. And we are told that after the king has finished his survey, he found Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ten times wiser than all the magicians in the land. All the philosophers in the land. Today we can say all the consultants. Is that right? All the PhDs. Is that right? All the presidential advisors in the land. All wiser than all of them. It was like the difference between darkness and light. Is that human wisdom, guys? We need divine wisdom. We need divine wisdom. All these cases, it was the church, the people of God, that brought solutions to the crisis in their time. Here's a question for you. Is it at all possible is it at all possible that the ESCOM crisis that we face, that the answer to that, the solution, might be in the church and not in government? Is it at all possible? Power generation, is that, is that the, the issue that we're dealing with? Or homelessness? You can go on and on, you're smart people, you know much, 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 much better than me. Is it at all possible that if the crises that we just very few that we saw in the Bible was solved by the people of God then, is it at all possible that the crisis that we face today, perhaps the answer might be in the church, not in the world, but in the church. But now Satan has got us to the point where we are criticizing, 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 criticizing over and over. We've left the ministry of the prophetic we have gone to the ministry of the, of the critic. 
I'm talking to myself as well. Amen? We need wisdom. I want to close with the need for unity. Hallelujah. Amen? We see God demonstrate that even in marriage. As fantastic as men may be as men, or women may be as women, (laughs) they are limited. If there is no teamwork in marriage, can you imagine where we will be today? (laughs) Can you imagine? One individual totally separate. Teams up with another individual. And we see God manifest in such a beautiful way. Part of the benefit of that is children. The next generation. The destiny of the future is is brought into being because of this level of teamwork. How beautiful will it be, friends, if we as the people of God decide that we will be one. We will be one. We'll be united, not necessarily uniform, because white people will be white and black people will be black. God hasn't called us to be uniform, but to be united. Even in our theology, we will believe this aspect of the Bible. Another person will believe this aspect of the Bible. A third person will believe that aspect of the Bible. But let's be one. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul tells us that I cannot say, not may not, cannot say, I don't need the mouth. I don't need legs. I don't need arms. No, no, no. I cannot say that. When I learned that, I realized, hey, man, I'm a Nigerian, but I need South Africans. I'm black, but I need white people. I need colored people. I need Indian people. I need Chinese people. God did not place anyone on earth for nothing. He placed them because I need them and they need me. They need me. Regardless of my prejudices, regardless of my misgivings, regardless of whatever I may think, I need. And I must recognize that I have strengths and I have weaknesses. And my neighbor has strengths and they have weaknesses. God put us together. So that where I have blind spots, neighbor will say, by the way, (laughs) careful, careful, careful. You're going to run into a ditch here and I must, I must listen. Because sometimes God will speak to me directly. Other times God will purposely speak through to me through Stephen. And if I'm prejudiced towards Stephen, guess what? I'm going to fall into that ditch and it's not God's fault. It's because I close my eyes and my ears. I think our greatest challenge as the body of Christ is this issue of disunity. Satan knows it, so he's, done, he's doing everything possible to put us apart. But the Bible tells us that it is good and pleasant when brothers dwell together. That's why I like that word. (laughs) Can you see that, everybody? (laughs) Can you see it? Life what? Not apart. Not apart. Together. Even together racially, together economically, together um, educationally, across educational lines. Educated and illiterate, together. 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 I need you. You might need me too, but I know I need you. That one is is certain. That one is certain. Why do the leaders who have experienced God, perhaps more than many of us have experienced God, because they saw the raising of the dead, these guys, in the book of Acts. But they said, choose seven men, not one man. 
Because God doesn't do one-man shows. Amen? Seven men. And look at the seven men, friends. Among the seven men, there is one prominent one. His name is Stephen. Seven names are given. Stephen, Philip, Nicano, Parmenas, uh, and so on and so forth. Seven individuals were selected. But only one is really prominent. The whole of Acts chapter 7 is dedicated to this one individual. He gives a presentation. It is amazing. Amazing. Study Acts 7 and see the wisdom God gives to Stephen. He's not an apostle. He's not a prophet. He's not an evangelist. He's not a pastor. He's not a teacher. He's just serving God. Among the seven, he's the prominent leader. Next to him, there's another prominent one, a little bit less prominent. His name is Philip. Acts chapter 8, God used Philip in mighty ways in Jerusalem, but also in Samaria. The rest of the five, they are mentioned once, and they're not mentioned again. They are second, and they are satisfied. They are simply fulfilling their ministry. They understand that we are here to glorify him. The king, that's why we're talking about kingdom essentials. All right? I think about the 12 apostles. In the book of Acts, the main people, initially Peter, then a bit of James, and then Paul was not actually one of the 12. So Peter and James. What about the rest of the apostles? They are mentioned once by name. Or very few times by name. The other times, it's Peter, 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 Peter and John. Peter most of the time. And then James and John a little bit. But the others are there. That is to say that if God is using Elder Stephen or whoever the Lord is using, we rally around him in the spirit of unity. And it's not about me. It's about God and what he's doing. And if he says, partner, collaborate, support what God is doing, we will do that. In our time, we will do that. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for listening. Find more on Showfire East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.